Hey friends, it's Mark James. Today is the 8th of the 6th, the 8th of June. I'm annoyed actually. Um, welcome to the podcast, by the way. <laughs> it's Wednesday. I'm annoyed because I thought that the new James Bay album was coming out today, but it's coming out on the 8th of July, not the 8th of June. I've pre-ordered it about three weeks ago. I paid for the vinyl record to be delivered on release day. And I thought that day was today, but it is not. I'm currently sitting in my car outside of a bed and breakfast, which is really nice, by the way, in Weymouth. And, um... Yeah, I'm sitting in the car because I feel very sort of conscious of noise in the bed and breakfast. You feel very aware of the fact that other people are just slightly through the walls. It's not quite the same as in the Premier Inn or the Travel Lodge or some big chain hotel where people making a bit of noise is sort of baked in and it's very impersonal. You're in a sort of oversized house and there are usually six or seven rooms and all of those rooms are... Um, occupied by other couples or solo travellers or, you know, whatever. And you're in the mix. You feel very much like the sort of a fear that you'll see those people at breakfast. So you, even though I didn't have breakfast, more on that in a minute. But then you don't. And the day's been a little bit consumed by the hunt for food. <laughs> I walked. So last night, Oh God, where do I even start this episode? Where do you want me to begin with this week's episode? Let me look at the diary and I'll just make sure I'm not missing anything catastrophic. Because as always, I've made no notes. Um, okay, so last week on Wednesday, I did half an good. Ah, uh, yeah, then Thursday. Ah, oh, now I know what happened. So, you'll remember that Sarah and I were quite worried because she had a lump in her armpit. As it goes... Nothing's really happened with the, that yet. She has had blood taken, but of course we've had no results. And she has been to see the doctor and the doctor's referred her to get checked out at the hospital. So we're not actually stressed about it now. We're pretty sure that it's a harmless thing called a lipoma. I've read nearly everything there is to know about it at this point. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but that's how we feel. And we're not worried about it. What we are excited about is the fact that we go on holiday a month on Sunday back to Benidorm, which is très exciting. But anyway, so that was the Wednesday and Thursday. And on the Thursday, I was so stressed about this whole thing still, because then we were going to the hospital for the first checkup and, uh, and the bloods and stuff, that I didn't do my gig. We called my agent and I explained what had happened and he was fine about it and he said he'd get me cover. And so I got the gig covered, went to the get some checkups and stuff and bloods taken. And then Sarah and I decided because Joshua was at my mum's remember Joshua was away at my mum's house all last week because it was the school holidays so I said should we go out and get pissed <laughs> and Sarah said yeah all right then so that's what we did we went out and um we got pissed and I don't know if she got pissed I certainly did because I'm lightweight I had like three IPAs and I was drunk and we had food and we made pizza and it was all good and we had a lovely time together watched a bit of TV it was great actually we ended up having some really nice quality time and it was good fun we had a nice burger and stuff in town later on and it was all right and I was sort of Glad to be not gigging, but not glad of the reason that I wasn't gigging ultimately. But it was nice that we were able to be together. And then Friday, I had another gig at Tattershaw Lakes, which was fun. I was on with uh, Michael Jordan, who's a good friend of mine, illusionist and juggler, and 
Steve Arnold, who I'd never met before. I'd spoken to him on a couple of occasions for gigs and stuff, but never actually met him. And he was really nice as well. And his act killed, like the audience loved him and he did some good inventive juggling stunts. And I was happy to have worked with him because I feel like I'd like to work with him again. Very good. Uh, but the thing about jugglers is, Whatever you think of the style of the act, because one thing I'll say, the difference between Steve and Michael, is that Michael's act is a lot more similar to mine. It's a lot more sort of vaudevillian in its tone, in that Michael wears a three-piece suit, he wears, uh, his music is all kind of jazz and old school, and Michael's a lot more like me in that vibe. So that for a cogent, coherent, sorry, cohesive show, that with Michael and I make reasonable sense together. Steve is quite left field because he wears a sort of multicolored hoodie. Steve dresses like sort of Fresh Prince 1980s vibe. <laughs> Steve wears like multicolored uh, cargo pants and oversized hoodie that's multicolored and his act is kind of UV and crazy. But one thing about jugglers is because Jay Rawlins was on the week before and he's a lot more like me as well, wears a suit. He's very um, vaudevillian, even though he's a bit crazy. And so aesthetically, that's the difference. Steve was quite the odd man out. However, that sort of thing doesn't matter when what you're doing is so undeniable that the audience are taken along with you anyway. They step into your world and Steve's skills as a juggler are they're undeniable. He's brilliant. He does really good, difficult, interesting, hard to do, aesthetically interesting and pleasing tricks. And his act never stops moving forward. And so consequently, the audience loved him and he was terrific. And I loved him too. And off stage, he was the nicest guy. He tried to teach me club passing, juggling. And, um, I actually got closer to it than I've ever been before. The main problem of it is that I'm not a very good club juggler to begin with. And so not being a very good club juggler to begin with held me back from learning passing clubs. But I did have a good go and Steve demonstrated a, a sort of unparalleled level of patience in his determination for me to be able to learn it, which I really appreciate. I have to say, of many performers that I've met, Steve is among the nicest and a brilliant act. So a full, fully-fledged positive review for Mr. Steve Arnold. I can say nothing bad about the man. Um, I'd heard a lot of nice things about him over the years, so it was great to be able to work with him at last. And the show was good, solid. And then after the show, on... Um, Friday night, I drove immediately to my mother's house because the show was in Nottinghamshire area and my mother lives in the northeast. So I decided what I'll do is I'll drive from here straight to my mum's. It's the same distance as from driving from there to home, three hours. However, what it would mean is that I'd only be an hour and ten minutes from the next day's gig and I'd be waking up in a place where Joshua already was and so that meant I could take him to the gig and then we could just drive straight home. So it made a lot of sense. And I arranged to meet up with a couple of friends from school. <coughs> I've still got this cough, by the way. I've got some... Um, some, mu <laughs> some mucus cough syrup, which I have to say is predominantly fixed the cough today. I had it this morning and I probably didn't cough until about three o'clock. And now I haven't had it for eight hours and so I'm coughing again. But I think it is gonna fix it long-term, which is good. Anyway, so I'd arranged to meet with those friends, which is nice. I need to open the window a bit. I'm gonna die in some sort of, you know, dogs die in hot cars situation. 
Um, I just didn't want the noise of the road. I'm sure it's okay. So I'd arranged to meet these two friends, Scott Dobinson and Paul, uh, Paul Robson. Everyone called him Titch at school, which I suppose they still do, because uh, he was small. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, that those nicknames... If, so, if you gave someone that nickname now, there's potential for offence. But that's what we always called him, and he never minded. They're both top lads. They were good friends of mine at school, and for all we've not seen each other for 18, 19, 20 years, and we slipped back into being friends again very, very easily. I think I mentioned it the other week that I'd bumped into them whilst out shopping and arranged that I would meet them next time I went up. And so part of going up there was also that I knew I could meet them, which I thought would be fun. And I was right. So I drove up to my mum's. I drove around the whole of Seaham where she lives at midnight once I got there, trying to find, actually it was one o'clock, trying to find some sort of takeaway that was open because I was starving and was unable to do so and took refuge in two Snickers bars that my mum had had in the fridge and I ate them instead because it was an eating day. Or was it? I know it wasn't. It was Friday, but I didn't give a shit because I hadn't been fasting for a week, remember? Anyway, so... But I'm, I still maintained weight, which was all right, basically. Um, so I did that. But also, my mum had wanted me to move some stones from the boot of her car to the back of her garden. Now, the, <laughs> these bags of stones, they're from Morrison's. And she'd had to get some poor lad at Morrison's to load them from the garden centre section into a trolley. And then once he'd done that, she asked the checkout people to find him again to load them into the boot of a car, which he did dutifully, bless this young lad. If I could find him, I'd give him a tip. The tip would be try and avoid my mum at all costs. <laughs> She'll rope you into all sorts of jobs. But anyway, I had to then move these bags from the boot of her car into the back garden, which is probably a walk of about down the alley, to the alley, down the alley, from the alley into the back garden, I'd say 40 steps. 40 steps per journey. So that's 80 steps round trip. However, my mum had six bags of these. So we're talking a good, a good bit of walking, you know, an 80 step round trip, but there's six bags. And the bags have got 25 kilograms of stones in them. 20 five kilograms of stones in them so we're talking is it 22 kilograms yeah 50 just under 50 pounds we're talking a lot of weight so i lumped these things from the front to the back and finally got them into the place that she wanted all lined up and then the next morning she told me i hadn't lined them up properly so could i move them and put them against the other wall <laughs> which i was annoyed about because it was closer but anyway so I did that job and I went in the house and I got in bed with Joshua because Joshua was sleeping in my childhood room. Not, I hesitate to say, in my childhood bed because that bed is long gone. In fact, I didn't have a childhood bed. I had a couch that turned into a bed. And because I liked it so much as a couch, I would frequently, and that's what I asked for, by the way, I begged for that in my room because we often had friends in my room. It was kind of the social hub of my childhood uh, friends. So having a couch made a lot more sense and they all used to come around and we'd sit on the couch. But because I couldn't be bothered to change it from couch to bed, I almost never did. And so I slept. This makes a lot of sense, actually. Most of my childhood from being about 12 into 16, I slept on a couch in my bedroom because I couldn't be bothered to pull the bed out, thus cementing a long-term relationship with sleeping on couches in my adult life in caravans, maybe. 
<coughs> but either way, um, that's what happened. So now there's a bed in there, a guest bed, which Joshua always sleeps in when he's staying over. And I got in that bed with him. Now it's probably a, it's not a double bed, but it's also not a single bed. It's, it's, that, it's that distance between double and single. It probably is a double actually. But at home, we have like a queen-size bed, which is massive. And so in my head, I've always believed that we have a double bed, but actually we have a queen-size. And a double bed is not really that big, especially when the person you're in it with is a 10-year-old child who's over five feet tall, likes to sleep from one corner of the bed <laughs> to the other. And if you dare to attempt to move him, boots you in the back so hard that you nearly fall out of bed. So I had a very restless night's sleep. I'm glad that I took the preventative steps of opening the window and the curtain because I knew that my mum would have the heating come on in the morning. And I can't bear that. It always makes me feel ill for the rest of the day if I wake up in a boiling hot room. So I opened the window. I got into the bed at like half past one in the morning and I got out of the bed at half past eight in the morning. And in none of those occasions did Joshua wake up. And so he the next morning asked me, where in the house I'd slept when I'd stayed over because he hadn't been aware that I'd got into the bed and out of the bed while he was in it or moved him in the night to one side of the bed or anything like that. So that was good, I suppose, that I never woke him up even though I got in and slept and then got back out again. But um, yeah, I went and met my friends and that was great and we had good times reminiscing about school and you know different people we'd gone to school with. And it's quite weird actually, A few, quite a few kids that were at my school have unfortunately perished in quite disastrous ways. A girl I went to school with is sadly no longer with us. A boy that I went to school with um, that was a heroin dealer involved in a drugs bust raid died in a house fire and he um, is no longer with us. I mean, he was a heroin dealer, so you know, he'd obviously taken quite the path since I met him. What was most shocking actually is that that kid, they, neither of my two friends could really remember him from school. And I remembered him because he was in my form class and I always thought he was a nice lad. We were good pals. He was good crack. You know, we used to have a laugh, me and him. But clearly after school, we went very different paths. Never mind. God, this throat. <coughs> anyway, I need more of that medicine. So that was a, a thing to talk about. And we had some good chats about that and discussed uh, all of the machinations of school and our lives uh, whilst we were both at it. And, um... Yeah, it was a good catch-up. And then I left and I picked Joshua up and I went up to the gig and I did a daytime gig. Daytime gigs always have a weird vibe because my show has a tendency to lean towards the theatrical and involves more than one blackout during it. Um, when you're in a room and it's daytime and that room has got windows along the back wall and or in the ceiling that cannot be blacked out, then the tricks that you usually get a blackout for become sort of a little bit unusual by virtue of the fact that they're designed with blackout in mind and blackout is not possible. And so light creeps in. I'm speaking very specifically. I do a classic manipulation routine uh, called the billiard balls and you're using large balls that you manipulate and they vanish and appear and all that sort of stuff. But in my show, it happens lit only by uh, a tor a very, very strong torch. And it's a, it creates a perfect circle on the wall behind me. And the screen has like a window with rain and everything running down it. And the sound of rain plays in the room. And it, it's very theatrical. But some of the theatricality is stripped away by the daytime. 
Sky Masterson describes in uh, Guys and Dolls when he says to Sarah, the uh, Salvation Army woman who falls in love with him, that she's not really in love with him and it's just the night time. It does things to people and makes them act in a way they wouldn't ordinarily during the day. I'm paraphrasing and slightly removing the poetry from it, but that's what he says. And I feel the same about shows sometimes. Some of the romance of entertainment can be removed by the spectre of the daylight outside, even if it's unseen, but especially if it is. And so... There was that, but it was okay. Then Saturday I got home, and on the way home, Joshua and I stopped at this posh farm shop and bought some cheese, quite a bit of cheese, and we made pizzas again. And I bought IPAs, and I got drunk again, probably for the third time that week. <laughs> for a non-drinker, IPAs have really punctured my sort of self-approval about not being someone who ever drinks. But um, I'm enjoying them, it's okay. It's not becoming a problem. Although last night I was in the supermarket, and I was in the IPA aisle, just looking at a few of them to see which ones they had and contemplating the idea of maybe buying some. And I decided not to because firstly, it was a no calorie day. And secondly, I realized that drinking when one is away from home by oneself can become a problem, a problem that my father suffered in his life and one that I resolved never to suffer. So I avoided the IPAs, but anyway. Um, we made food and we had some drinks and stuff and that was Saturday and then Sunday we did exactly the same again had delicious food and a couple of drinks and relaxed a lot and that was good and then Monday I resolved to get back onto the wagon very much so get back on all versions of the wagon the healthy wagon the alcohol free wagon the uh, fasting and exercise wagon all of the wagons that I'd watched ride off into the distance without me we're just waiting at a bus stop that I'd caught up to via virtue of time. And so I decided to get back onto all of them simultaneously with hands and feet stretched between, which can be a challenge to be overstretched by multiple wagons, but I was ready for it. So Monday I got on the Peloton and I cycled like, with, like a man determined and I achieved something. I did 12 miles in the 35 minutes. I was very pleased with myself. Then I rode off and did a gig and then went to a Premier Inn. And the Premier Inn was very frustrating because their website said that they had a car park. And that's true. But there's a problem with claiming you've got a car park if your car park has 14 spaces and your hotel has 85 rooms. I would say that's a problem. I don't know if you agree. But to me, having 85 rooms and only 14 car parking spaces is a pro I think you should advertise that you've got a limited space car park. And when you click on the little eye in a circle next to that moniker, it should say, the car park has five times as many rooms as spaces. So people wishing to utilize said car park should arrive early or expect to make alternate parking arrangements. But anyway, in the car park, a few people had parked on the double yellow lines that ran around the edge of the car park. So I did the same. And the next morning I went out to find my car absolutely fine as I'd left it. And at this point, of course, most of the car park empty. I had to pay six pound for the pleasure of parking on double yellows, by the way. So it'd be awkward if they then fined me for it because I'd already paid. I'd say the six pound should go towards the fine, but uh, it all worked out fine and I left. Fine, 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 there we go. I drove over to Weymouth and that's where you find me now. So last night I did my gig, it was fun actually. I don't often do that well in that room because, the um, again, the venue's very light. It's oddly spaced. It's not one of my favourite rooms, but the show was all right. The audience were really on board and nice. And um, 
I had a good show. And then afterwards I went to the Asda and I bought a few drinks and I came back to the hotel, the bed and breakfast. And I sat on the prom for a bit in the car. I did a TikTok live and I spoke to my friend Tom. Two things that I knew I couldn't do at the hotel for fear of making too much noise. But um, I did them both in the car. Then I finally went back to the hotel and I watched a couple more episodes of Somebody Feed Phil, which is a Netflix sort of docu-series about food. And he's the writer of Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil, um, Phil Rosenthal. And he travels around and he eats with different people and um, takes a look at the town and all that sort of stuff. It's a bit like Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, except, oddly, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain, focuses a lot more on the social and societal issues and the people and the area than the food, even though Bourdain is a trained chef. And Somebody Feed Phil, which is about a comedy writer, <laughs> focuses a lot more on the food. You'd think that they'd both stick to what they know. <coughs> Ideally, I want to see Phil Rosenthal have funny conversations with people, but eat nice food, and Anthony Bourdain talk more about food with his expertise, but neither happens. I think both are potentially weakened shows for it, even though they're both good. Anyway, so I watched a bit of that and I went to sleep, and I, I'd resolved to wake up early this morning. And the reason I was waking up early is because I'd just done a two-day fast, and I wanted to start the day with the main thing I was going to eat. Because months ago, I paused briefly there to induce a coughing fit in order that I could clear my throat. And I did, successfully. Anyway, months ago, possibly even a year ago, Joshua and I were down here together. Because when I was doing the Curious Mysteries show, I was in Weymouth, but it was two days in a row, Saturday and Sunday. And so Joshua and I came down very early on the Saturday. We stayed over and then I did the gig on the Sunday as well. And then we drove home. And on the Saturday, we got here early. The show wasn't until one o'clock, but we arrived at 10.30. So we went and we caught the last half an hour of the buffet breakfast at the Beefeater. And Joshua loved it. And I enjoyed it too, actually. So I decided this morning, because the Beefeater's not too far from the bed and breakfast, decided to walk to the Beefeater in order that I could get the breakfast at the Beefeater. And I took the walk. I arrived at the Beefeater, which is just past the New Look head office. If you're English, you'll know, or British, you'll know what New Look is. It's a clothing store here. Walked past that, got to the Beefeater, walked in, stood at the place that says, please wait to be seated for about four minutes, I would say. And I used four purposefully there, because if I'd said two or three, you might think that wasn't very long. And if I said five, you'd think I was generalizing because specificity is important when you're telling a story. So I chose four, not only for those reasons, but also because I believe it to be correct. And in that time, a few people who were at the bar, and I mean people who worked there, looked at me and did nothing. Eventually, I walked over to the bar, being quite theatrical about it. <laughs> and I walked up and they still ignored me. And I said, hi, guys. And they all looked at me as if I'd switched them all on suddenly. And I said, are you still doing buffet breakfast? And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, oh. I thought it was until 10.30, and she said, yes, breakfast is until 10.30, apart from on weekends where it's till 11, but we're not doing buffet breakfast. And I said, oh, but you are doing normal breakfast. She said, yes, breakfast is cooked to order. And I said, but you can still order everything that you want. She said, yeah. I said, so it's like buffet breakfast. She said, yes, but it isn't busy enough to run buffet breakfast, so we're just doing cooked to order breakfast where you can ask for anything you want. And I immediately thought, 
Well, it's going to be awkward when I say, can I have 11 sausages? Because <laughs> you have to go, oh, I'll just have a normal breakfast then, two sausage, two bacon, what? But when you have buffet breakfast, you never do that, do you? How can you say to another human being, great, I'll have 11 sausages, two pieces of toast, three uh, little mini pots of Nutella, a bowl of cereal, half Rice Krispies, half Cheerios, <laughs> an egg, two hash browns and some ketchup. And then she'll go, do you want beans? Oh yeah, I will have beans. Oh, have you got scrambled egg? I thought you were having a fried egg. I want both. You don't want to tell people your weird peccadillos for breakfast when at the buffet, the point is that you can get the weird, fucked up combination of breakfast that you want without having to explain to another human that you want a really unhealthy imbalance of sausages. But anyway, I was all right about that. I said, okay, fine. So should I just sit anywhere? She said, no. <laughs> And I went, so what should I do? Wondering why I was having to constantly sort of winkle the information out of her and it wasn't very forthcoming. I was thinking, do they just want me to leave? And then she went, Haley will be over to seat you in a second. And I was thinking, well, I know how well that went at the desk. Anyway, Haley comes over and she says, are you wanting a seat for breakfast? And I said, yes. And then the woman at the bar went, are you wanting to pay cash or card? And I said, oh, ca uh, card. And she said, unfortunately, our till is down. So we can only accept cash. And I said, so I could never have paid cash anyway. And she went, oh, couldn't you? Well, that's perfect because we're only accepting cash. <laughs> and I went, no. What I mean is I could never, sorry, I could never have paid card anyway. And I said, no, what I mean is I was never able to pay card because you don't accept it. She went, no, we don't. The tills are down. And I said, so... What you meant was, do you have cash? And she said, well, we do, but only change in the till. And I said, no. <laughs> and then, oh shit. And then I looked at the other woman who was waiting to sit me and I said, what is happening here? And she sort of giggled. And I said, I couldn't pay cash because I don't have cash. But I also couldn't pay card because you're not accepting cards. So what you should have said is, do you have cash because we're not accepting cards or we're only accepting cards today. Um, sorry, we're only accepting cash today because we can't take cards. You should have just get, told me there was only one option available. I got very confused in this story. But I said, you should have just told me there was one option available. Instead of asking me, which way do you want to pay? and then taking the 50% chance that I was gonna be dissatisfied and disappointed. And she said, right. And I said, so is there any way to get cash? And she said, yeah, there's a um, Sainsbury's across the road. They'll have a card machine. And I said, cool, I'll go and check it out, but don't wait for me to come back because I feel that that might be unlikely to happen. <laughs> And the girl said, so do you not want a table? And I said, if somebody comes in and they want it, let them have it. And then I left. And I looked at the state of the place and I turned round, back around and said, and you might want to tidy up if you're not busy. Because <laughs> then I was in a pissy mood. So, yeah, I don't know. It just, what a ridiculous situation. I never got breakfast. And then I left the restaurant and then I got rained on. And that pissed me off the most. Because I looked at the forecast and it said... Likely to start raining in 20 minutes. And I knew that walking to the bee feeder was going to take me 15 minutes. 
So I thought, I'll walk to the bee feeder. It'll rain. The rain was only predicted for half an hour on the app, you know, and it shows you the ups and downs of the rain. So I thought, I'll walk. I'll beat the rain. I'll sit in the bee feeder. I'll eat the breakfast. I'll read my book. I took a book with me, Titanic Thompson, uh, a book written by Kevin Cook about America's most famous gambler. And uh, maybe not as the most famous, maybe Minnesota Fats, the pool hustler, or but, you know, a, a card-sharking, gun-slinging, fast-living American legend, Titanic Titanic Thompson. It's a great book. I'm halfway through. I took that with me. I thought I'll miss the rain. But then I ended up back outside five minutes later and exactly as predicted by the weather app to be 20 minutes later, which was my 15 walk and the five minutes I spent inside, it started to rain. And then I walked the entire duration to town in the spitting rain, which as you know, I hate, and got to town. And then I went inside of this little place and had uh, a coffee, a flat white. And then immediately it stopped raining again. So that was my look this morning. It really, really pissed me off. <laughs> In quite, quite a, um, you know, unsurprising way. I'm very short, aren't I? I'm getting annoyed quickly. So that was that. Oh, and I walked past, um, I walked past McDonald's as well on the way back. And I was half tempted to get McDonald's breakfast because I don't mind a McDonald's breakfast. But now they've got rid of the bagel. I might have talked about this in the past. Um, my friend Jester always says whenever I say I think I've mentioned this before I always have done <laughs> so I won't go too deep into it but the bagel at McDonald's was not only the best breakfast item they did it was the best item they did the McDonald's breakfast bagel was easily the best McDonald's item ever the uh, sausage egg and cheese bagel and now they don't do it while I'm in the subject of uh, giving shout outs by the way I'd like to give out a, a shout out to Jake Mormon Mormon spelled M-A-W-M-A-N rather than M-O-R-M-O-N. Um, the religious, uh, can I say cult? Um, who is a friend of mine from TikTok. And I said I would shout him out today and I've remembered. So there you go. And no shout out for Mark Reds underscore 87. I mean, I mentioned his name, but Mark, I'm very specifically not shouting you out. <laughs> oh God. So there you go. Um, Shout out to Bill as well, who I know will listen to this. Hey, Bill. Shout out to all my friends who listen to the podcast that uh, also are over from TikTok and Emma and uh, Evergreen and Scarlett and just loads of people on TikTok who I've become very friendly with. So, yeah, um, that's been my day. I've walked around a lot. I've eaten, I don't know if you'd say I'd eaten badly or not. I've had a flat white. I had this thing I ordered called a seafood medley, which I thought was going to be a sandwich because it said mixed seafood with crusty bread and butter. And I thought, well, that's a sandwich, isn't it? That's like a, that's going to be a DIY sandwich. It'll be a pile of mixed, like seafood mix. You know, when you get a seafood sandwich, it's like mayonnaise with uh, prawns and stuff in. What actually came, the butter was a butter sauce, like a fully liquidized butter sauce, which had um, mussels in, in their shells. Two giant prawns in, also both in their shells, and some bits of uh, unbattered calamari. Now, <clears throat> what you won't know about me is that I absolutely hate prawns, or shrimp, as you would say if you're not uh, British, is I hate prawns in their shells. D I really hate it. I hate having to pull off the head and the tail and then unclamp 
the body shell from around it. They were giant and they were probably the nicest ones I've ever tasted. But I don't like having to de-home them from the shell. I find it a very unpleasant experience. And they were so hot when I tried to do that that I burnt my fingers a little bit on the hot butter sauce. I also don't really like mussels in the shells that much. But then without the shells, they feel quite unsubstantial. If you just got de-shelled mussels in white wine sauce, you wouldn't really feel like you were getting much of a meal. It's the fact that they come in their shells. 90% of what you get in that pot is inedible, but it makes it feel like a big meal. It's weird, that, isn't it? I actually hate anything on my plate that you can't eat. I don't like chicken on the bone. I don't like mussels in shells or shellfish in shells. Um, I want them to be de-shelled. I don't like stuff on the plate that you can't eat. That's the crux of it. When I was a kid, my mum used to make chicken curry, but using chicken legs on the bone, and I hated it so much. I'm still, can you hear the anger in my voice? I'm still angry about it now. <laughs> still angry about it now, 30 years later, that chicken on a bone in curry. That's not a curry, mum. That's chicken legs on rice with sauce poured over the top. It's not right. So never mind. But it was delicious anyway. So I had that, I had a flat white. Um, I walked around a little bit more. I found this place called the Fudge Pantry. I think it might have been called Rolly's Fudge Pantry. And I had five pounds worth of fudge, chocolate, salted pecan and vanilla clotted cream. A mixed bag with three different flavours in. And that was absolutely delicious. I really, really enjoyed that. But I still felt like I hadn't had anything proper to eat. And because I hadn't eaten since Sunday and it's a double fast day, um, today is the one day that I'll eat on this trip. So I had to eat today because I won't be eating tomorrow before home on Friday, when I wake up home on Friday. So on the walk back, I decided to get a bag of chili heatwave Doritos and some hummus. And that's what I've eaten. Chili heatwave Doritos and hummus in the car before I recorded this podcast. All of which brings me back to when I'm started, which is that I'm annoyed that the James Bay album didn't get delivered today. Nor is it on Spotify. I was looking for it on Spotify last night, hoping it would appear after midnight, and it didn't. And now I find out I've got to wait a whole month. But if I really love it, it comes out on the 8th, and I go on holiday on the 10th, so give me a nice new album to listen to on repeat on the plane. So that'll be good. I wonder if another single will come out from it before it comes out. There's only been one single out from it so far. It's called One Life. I enjoy it a lot. But, um... Usually, it would be unusual for one single to come out from an album before the album itself is released in full length. So I wonder, I wonder if the full album will see the light of day prior to that. Interesting. God, I was reminded yesterday as well, my friend Mark sent me a video. There's a guy called Justin Hawkins. He used to be the lead singer in the darkness. Do you remember? I believe in a thing called love, just another rhythm of my heart, that guy. He does a um, YouTube channel called Justin Hawkins Rides Again. And in it, he talks about the musicality behind a lot of different singers. And he interprets the melodies and plays the chords and shows you the things within those songs that make those singers, you know, elevated to what he would call genius and why they're especially good. And they're always interesting to hear a proper musician's opinion on the music. It does really elevate your ability to listen to it. I mean... I went to music college and I play the guitar um, to a fairly average level and I play the piano to a below average level 
and I play the drums to a comically below average level. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't deign to call myself a musician. So hearing a proper, well-versed, talented and good mus musician teach you about things that you're able to understand but also not able to recognize for yourself is uh, very rewarding. I think he probably just makes that channel for, for other musicians really to listen to because uh, his, his take apart of popular songs is always very intriguing. Justin Hawkins is called. And uh, this week he did one about uh, Ron Sexsmith, who is a singer I really like. He's Canadian. You might have heard his song, Secret Heart, what are you made of? What are you so afraid of? Could it be? He sang that and he also sang a song that's in um, About Time. There's gold in them hills, so don't lose heart. Anyway, he's a brilliant songwriter and his albums are well recommended. I really like his album, Long Play, A Late Bloomer. It's got a song, in, a song on it called Get In Line. And uh, it's brilliant. Listen to Get In Line by Ron Sexsmith. That's your homework. See if you enjoyed. If you like that song, you'll like his other stuff. And then listen to the rest of his oeuvre. I think you'll enjoy him. He's very good. <coughs> he's been writing songs. I think his first album came out in 1985, which is when I was born. But uh, he's, he's managed to stay modern and always write sort of pretty timeless, great music. He's a great lyricist, a fantastic guitarist. And he writes very interesting melodies with good rhymes. So, yeah, check him out. Ron Sexsmith. I recommend Get In Line, but um, listen to all of his albums. I think you'll enjoy them. Right, friends, I'm going to go because I think that's about 40 minutes and it's six o'clock and I need to get a shower. And then once I'm showered, get dressed again immediately and head down to tonight's show. I'm meeting up with another old friend tonight called Ellis, who used to be an entertainment manager on holiday parks when I met him. And now he works at the head office of um, one of the companies that my bookings go through. So um, he sent me a message saying, do you want to catch up and get a coffee? And I said, I would love to. That would be nice. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go and see him and see what he's up to and find out about his job and catch up, which will be good. So I've got to go a little bit earlier than I normally would. The gig's not far away. It's only 10 minutes away. But uh, want to get there, don't you? Get there and say hello. So that's that's this week's podcast. Thanks for listening, friends. I feel buoyed up this week. I feel like I've been more more into it. I mean, what is the now? Is 12 episodes left or something? Can't be many, can it? Let's have a look. If I'm going until my birthday, there's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Fuck me, 11 episodes. 11 episodes left. God. I bet I get to 11 and I start saying I'm going to miss it. <laughs> Bye, friends. I'll speak to you next week.